Today we're going to look real closely at verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 1, having looked at verses 15 through 17 in our previous study. So in our last study, perhaps you remember, we looked at life in the community of God, and we talked about the atmosphere and attitudes that should be prevalent among us, God's people, as we gather. But we don't just put on godly attitudes and behaviors when we gather for fellowship as the church collectively, we are to be living out our faith in every sphere of life, each and every day, including the home and the workplace. And that's what the passages that we're looking at today deal with. So let me read, just really quickly, let me read uh, verses 18, um, Chapter three, verse 18 through chapter four, verse one. So wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter or harsh toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke or exasperate your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not to men, knowing from that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done and there is no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So, so here in these verses, Paul is talking about, obviously he's talking about the marital relationship, he's talking about the family situation, and he's talking about um, life in, in the context of employment. Um, their context was the, the slave master context. Um, but, but even that was more like the employee employer uh, of today. So uh, in our next study, we're going to take a deep dive into what slavery looked like in the, in the first century and in biblical times uh, versus what it looked like in um, the Western world and the United States uh, back in the early days of the country. And we're gonna look at that specifically because uh, that is a, it's a real big issue today. And many people are uh, pushing against the Christian faith because they say the Christian faith supports slavery, which it absolutely did not. But we will talk about that in detail next time. But for our purposes this time, we're gonna look at the, uh, the servant-master relationship more as we would understand the employee-employer relationship. So we begin with these words, verse 18, wives submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Uh, the ancient world had many similarities to our world today when it, when it came to the relationship between the sexes. Uh, it was a male-dominated world, but that domination did not go 
uncontested. So the idea of a wife submitting to her husband was for some as untasteful then as it is now. But remember, Christians are to be different and are to live according to God's design. Now, let me, let me say this. Think about this. If God's designed something, it's good. I, I mean, that's kind of like a given. It, it's sort of a, a no-brainer. It, whatever God makes is good. Now, uh, certainly that can be what God has made and what he has intended can be distorted and it can be corrupted. But, but I just want you to remember from the very beginning uh, what God um, has made and the, the structure and the order that he has set up, it's good. So when, a, when the Lord says to a wife to be submissive to her husband, this is a good thing. It's good for the wife. It's good for the husband. It's good for the family. It's good for the community. It's, it's good all the way around. But of course, we have to make sure we understand what it means and what it doesn't mean. So, but just for clarification, um, this is indeed God's order. The uh, New Testament scholar F.F. Bruce said this. He said, Paul does hold that there is a divinely instituted hierarchy in the order of creation. And in this order, the place of the wife comes next after her husband. But as I said, if God has established this order, then we need to know that it is good, uh, even if it has unfortunately at times been marred by sin. Now, the word submit is where things become very challenging. Um, 40 plus years ago, I stood right here on this platform that I am preaching from today. And as I was uh, taking vows and my wife, uh, Cheryl, was taking vows. Uh, her father was performing our wedding. And at a certain point, uh, he turned to Cheryl and he emphasized the word submit and obey. And he was, he was kind of, you know, winding her up a little bit. And I was there watching her reaction to it because she's a fiercely independent person and he knows that about her. So he was just reminding her, this is, this is what you're getting into as you're getting into marriage. But let's talk for a moment about what it means to submit. Um, the word submit conjures up in many people's imaginations the image of a downtrodden woman, uh, the victim of her husband's every whim, unable to be herself or to think her own thoughts, uh, to make grown-up contributions to the relationship. And the fact that there are still a few places in the world where women are treated like this is enough to make some people suggest that this is what the Apostle Paul intended but nothing could be further from the truth. And we even see that uh, in Paul's life experience himself, but we also see it in the parallel passage because right after Paul says, wife, submit to your husbands, we're gonna see the next verse is, and husbands, love your wives. So there's something happening here. There's a dynamic where as the husband is loving the wife, the wife is responding to that in submission and it's not a... Uh, it's not an oppressive thing, 
But speaking of Paul, who is often accused of being a sexist, he's often accused of being uh, a person who was uh, anti-women and uh, taught oppressive things regarding women. If you look at all of the different texts, you know, there's some texts where Paul writes that a woman is to keep silent in the church. Uh, and some people, they, they read that and they say, okay, look, here's what it is. Paul didn't even believe women could have a voice. They couldn't have an opinion. But the problem with that kind of interpretation is we're failing to take the context into consideration. Paul was writing to uh, churches and he was writing to specific issues that were going on. So it wasn't a general rule that women could never speak in the church, but in the case that Paul was addressing, say in, uh, in Corinth, or in Ephesus, he's talking about women who were disrupting the service. And he was correcting that. That's not appropriate. That's not right. But, but anyway, as we look at Paul's own life and ministry, we see that Paul, um, some of his fellow workers included women. And, and in his epistles, he's often referring to women. He's commending them. He's thanking God for them. He's referring to them as those who are laboring uh, with him in ministry. So uh, Paul's opinion of women was actually a, a quite a high opinion versus a low opinion. Uh, he ministered alongside of married couples where it appears that the women were, uh, in, in a phrase that we might use, they were people in their own right rather than shadowy figures screened from view by a bossy husband. Now, unfortunately, throughout the long history of the church. Uh, people have misinterpreted Paul. They have misapplied his words. They have uh, taken the idea of submission as uh, a woman who is essentially a doormat and she's just there to be walked over. But again, know this, that that is not the biblical picture. The biblical picture of submission, and notice Paul says that this is fitting in the Lord this is part of God's order. God is a God of order. We live in a very orderly universe. And um, as a matter of fact, the, the order of the universe is one of those things that people these days are, are having to admit that they're, they're, maybe there has to be a God because you can't randomly have the kind of order that we have. Well, just as we have an orderly universe uh, physically, so God has ordered life in such a way and he has ordered things in a way that although men and women are uh, on the, the level of their, their value, their dignity and all of that, they're identical. There's no, there's no difference. When God created, the Bible says in Genesis that God created man and it says then he created them male and female. And so male and female, total equality before, before the Lord. But when it comes to purpose, God has set up the structure that the man is to lead and the woman is to follow. And so um, it's that, that orderly universe that we see, it translates itself down into all different walks of life, even into life in the home. Now, I mentioned my wife a few minutes ago, um, I have an amazing wife. We've been married for over 40 years now. Uh, she is uh, extremely independent. She is brilliant. She is um, uh, just very, very capable 
uh, person. She can pretty much do anything. I always say about her, you know, if there is a will, there is a way. She exemplifies that because if, if she wants to see something done, uh, it's going to get done. And whether I do it or not, if, if I'm not going to do it, she's like, well, step aside because I'm going to do it. So we have this amazing relationship where she has all of this independence and she is able to blossom and be the person that God intended her to be. But at the same time, she's submissive. That's a, a really interesting thing. She's not, when it, when it comes down to ultimate decisions and things like that, although we uh, talk together, we pray together, we might even in some cases decide together. Um, a few times I have made the, the final decision, even if it was something that she didn't necessarily um, agree with at the time, but she understood that God gave me the, the place of leadership. And so she's submitted to that. So all that to say, ladies, um, you have tons and tons of freedom to be all that God has created you to be in the marital relationship. And husbands, those of you that are uh, viewing here today, remember that, that your position is not to be one of oppression and not to be one of restriction and not to be one of holding your wife back, but you're to be loving her in such a way that she can blossom and flourish and become all that God has made her to be. And so then Paul goes on and he says, husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter or harsh toward them. Now, those of you that are familiar with your New Testament, you're going to remember that there's a similar passage in Ephesians. Uh, I mentioned this early on in our study of Colossians. There are some overlaps between uh, what Paul writes to the Colossians and what he wrote to the Ephesians. And here's one place, but in his writing to the Ephesians, Paul, uh, he elaborated more on this husband's love your wives. And so I wanna read from uh, Ephesians chapter five, verses 25 through 29, just to get the fuller picture of what Paul is saying. So husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. So, Wives, submit to your husbands. Well, that sounds a bit tough. But husbands, love your wives. Okay, but what does that look like? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself. So Jesus is the example to us men, us husbands, of how we are to love our wives. We are to give ourselves for our wives. We're to love our wives as we love ourselves. As Paul says here, no one has ever hated his own uh, body, but we nourish it, we, we uh, take care of it. And so we're to do the same thing toward our wife. And like I said earlier, when we do that, because remember, this is how God has arranged it. When we do that, it's the best possible world for both people. So 
for me to love my wife, it's the best thing I could do for her and for me. For her to submit to me, it's the best thing she can do for me and for her. Because again, God has set things up to to work in certain ways. And when we rebel against those things, when we resist those things, when we reject those things, as is commonly happening uh, across the culture today, we find that although initially the promise is you're gonna be free, it's gonna be so much better, you're gonna be uninhibited, you're gonna be without restriction, you know, we find that, that people that go down that road, they end up not so happy. And they end up with life not being anything like they uh, thought it was going to be or maybe uh, they were promised it was going to be. You see, because if you're married, if you are a husband and a wife, then the only way to experience the, the real intention of God for marriage is to do what he says. And each of us are to do what he says. And so we have the word to the wives. We have the word to the husbands. As I said, this is about as unpopular a teaching as there could ever be today. This is one of those things that cause people to really um, chafe against what God's word says. Um, I remember even some years ago, there was a, a candidate. Um, I can't remember who it was, um, but they in their... Um, you know, going, going through the process of campaigning and so forth, they had said at a certain point, they had made a reference to uh, believing the biblical picture of marriage, that a wife is to submit to the husband, a husband is to submit to the Lord. And, and I remember, you know, the media got a hold of that and just blew it out of proportion. And I mean, you would have thought that this guy was like the devil incarnate because he dared suggest that this is the way um, things ought to be. So again, that just reminds us of the fierce resistance in the human heart toward uh, the way of God. But we always resist God's way to our own peril and ultimately to our own demise. So husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Now he goes on and he speaks to children. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. So this pleases the Lord. Children, obey your parents. I don't know how many children are uh, listening to me right now, uh, but, but if you're listening, know this, that um, obedience to your parents is the way to a good life. It's, it's the way to blessing and God wants you to be blessed and God's given us parents to help guide us and to watch over us. Now, we, we come to a certain age in life, uh, you know, we enter into the teen years or whatever and, and then we start to think our parents don't know anything, they're wrong, I know what's right, I know what's best, my friends, they're, they're the people that I wanna listen to, I wanna do what they're gonna do because that's that's where all the fun is. That's where all the good things are going to happen. And the truth of the matter is, no, it doesn't work that way. And um, it's always hard for a younger generation to listen to an older generation. But a younger generation ought to listen to an older generation because an older generation used to be a younger generation. So, you see, we lived through this. And, and we thought the same things. When I was a young teenager, I thought my parents don't know anything. I, 
why would I listen to what they think? They're outdated. They're old-fashioned. Uh, but, you know, as time went on in life, I realized, man, they knew a lot more than I thought they did. And had I taken their advice and either done the things they told me to do or not done the things that they told me not to do, boy, things would have been so much better. And again, this is the way God has set it up. Now, let me say this. When we're talking about children obeying parents, we're talking about children who are under the authority of parents. And the reason I bring this up is because sometimes I get adult adults asking me about, you know, what is my relationship to my parents like now? Well, we want to honor our parents all throughout our lives, but of course there comes a point where we're no longer under their authority. But if we are under their authority, we have to remember that God has set it up this way and they're looking out for our best interests. Now, maybe you're saying, well, my parents aren't Christians. Um, and that's something to pray about for sure. But that doesn't mean that they don't love you and it doesn't mean that they don't have your best in mind. And it very well could be that their advice and, and counsel and all that can be very helpful to you, even if they are not Christians at this point. So that's it. Just want to leave it at that. But this pleases the Lord. Remember that. This pleases the Lord. When you obey your parents, and I, I'm even thinking of some, you know, 17, 18, 19-year-olds, maybe you're still living at home, uh, and, you know, your parents are needing you to do things. They're wanting you to be helpful. They're wanting you to just take some responsibility. You know, as you do that, that pleases the Lord. That's a way that you can please the Lord. And so he goes from children to speaking, not, not to parents uh, collectively, but in this case, speaking to fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children. And the word provoke is also translated um, exasperate. Do not exasperate your children. How do we do that? Well, we do that by putting on them unreal expectations. We do that by constantly writing them and constantly um, degrading them perhaps or putting them down or making them feel like they're not living up to whatever standard it is that we have for them. Uh, Paul says, fathers, don't do that. Don't provoke them because this will, this will break them. This will discourage them to the point sometimes of just giving up. And, you know, young people have given up um, on the faith at times because they, they felt that there was just absolutely no way to please um, their, their parent, that the standard was just higher than they could reach and that they were always being reminded about the fact that they were falling short. Those are all counterproductive ways to uh, deal with our children. Uh, I'm a father. I have four grown children, and I have uh, six grandchildren. And um, of course, with much life experience in, in raising my children, I can think back in my younger years where I wasn't as wise as I am today. And, and I would think there were times when I really did discourage my children. I, I exasperated them. I was being unrealistic. Uh, my oldest daughter, I'll never forget, we, um, we used to live in England and, um, you know, in the wintertime, the weather is cold and 
we would go out for some kind of a family outing or whatever. And she would always show up with open toed shoes on, uh, you know, high heeled sandal type things. And I thought, you know, her feet are going to freeze. And instead of just letting her like, okay, well, that's what you want to do. You just have to live with the consequences. I, it was always a big battle. It was always a big battle about, you know, you can't wear those shoes. And I, I look back now and I think, what was the matter with me? Why was I thinking that? Why was I so insistent on that to the point where it really discouraged my daughter in our relationship? And thank God I grew and became more mature and apologized and she grew and she's almost 40 years old and we have a wonderful relationship uh, these days. But, but we had some rough times in those uh, years, those teen years. But I take a lot of the responsibility for it because I was not really um, being the father that the scripture tells me about here. I always think of the great passage in Psalm 103. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He knows our frame. He knows that we are made of dust. And I think, oh man, I'm so glad that that's true about God in regard to me but it's also uh, a picture of what we are to be like as fathers for our children. And so, again, remember Paul, he's, he's told us about life in the community of God and as the people of God are gathered, he's told us about the peace of God, he's told us about the, uh, the word of Christ dwelling richly among us, he's told us about um, not serving ourselves, but serving the Lord and serving one another. And now he is talking to us about um, taking the Christian life out into um, where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, in the home, with the family, uh, with the wife and husband, with the children. And, and let me just say this final thing before we move on to the next and the final point. Um, many a person has left the faith over what they observed in the home from uh, so-called Christians in the home. Do not be that parent that stumbles your children because you say one thing at church or you say one thing in the presence of other Christian people, but you live uh, an entirely different and a negative life in their presence in the home. Do not be that person. You do not want to be that person. God wants your um, relationship with him to shine forth in the context of your marriage and your family relationship. And through that, he wants to bless you and bless your family and the successive generations that will come from your family. And so then moving on, Paul goes and he speaks of bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. So as I said, we're gonna look at this as the employee, employer, and once again, next time we'll look at it more specifically in relation to the issue of slavery. And it's an important time in history for us to address that and to understand just exactly what, uh, we're talking about when the Bible speaks of slaves and masters and so forth. But here, uh, we're thinking in terms of those who are employed, the bond servants, and 
the masters would be the employers. So what, it, what does he say? Again, this is where our faith is to work itself out. Uh, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. So that means be a, a good employee. Um, and do it not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. In other words, don't just do it when um, somebody's watching, and so you want to either, you know, not uh, get disciplined for bad behavior, or you want to make them think that you're actually working harder than you really are because they're watching. He says, don't do that. He says, do it as to the Lord. Remember, the Lord is watching. And so you're doing your job. You're doing it for God, basically. And, and whatever job it is, and nowadays, of course, there's a lot of people that don't have a job. I, just, I prayed with a few people today who asked specifically for prayer about um, a job. They need a job. They have been unemployed now for months. And how they would just love to be back in that place. So, you know, having a job, getting a paycheck, that's a blessing. And we want to we do our best uh, wherever we are because Remember, we are the representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. And through uh, being faithful employees and hardworking and diligent employees, this is one of the ways that we are going to testify to the reality of who the Lord is and what he can do in a person's life. And so he goes on and he says, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Man, when, when, when we do that, again, that just becomes impressive. People look and think, wow, that, you know, man, that guy's a hard worker. That guy's serious. Um, why, why is he working so hard? Well, he says he's a Christian. That, that's, a, that's a good witness there. So that's the way we want to conduct ourselves, knowing Paul says in verse 24, that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. This is a really interesting statement here, verse 24. This tells us that we're going to receive rewards. And it's the reward of the inheritance. Now, the the interesting thing about this is we know that our salvation is not a reward for good behavior. We know our salvation is a gift from God because we put our faith in Jesus Christ. But there is a reward for those who faithfully serve God. And so there's coming a day when we are going to stand before the Lord. The Bible tells us that we will all stand, and talking about believers, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and there we will give an account. So This is the place where we will receive the reward and it's the reward of the inheritance. What does that mean? Well, it seems to be speaking of some position that we will be placed in in God's kingdom. That because we've been faithful here with the things God's given us, he's going to give us uh, authority over things in the future. And Jesus told parables that uh, spoke of that kind of thing. And so he, again, Paul reminds us that we're to do these things 
uh, because we are serving the Lord. And then he says, but he who has done wrong or he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done and there is no partiality. So again, this is that judgment seat of Christ where we're gonna give an account. This is not a place where it's determined whether we go to heaven or not. That's determined by our trust in Christ. That's how, that's how we are given eternal life. But this is, um, have I been faithful to what God has given me? And notice here again, the context is em- employment, as an employee. So most people are going to serve Jesus Christ outside of the church. Most people are going to serve Jesus Christ out in the world. And this is a place where God is taking note of our service to him. And as we faithfully serve him out in the broad world that we live in and whatever uh, way we do that, whatever um, calling, whatever uh, occupation, vocation, whatever that is, that's a place where we serve the Lord. And if we do wrong, then the Lord is going to discipline us for that in some way. And so he reminds us that there's no partiality. And then final verse that we're looking at, he moves from the employee to the employer, the master. And he says, give your bond servants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And this is something that people in authority always have to be reminded of, that there's an authority above you. And that authority above you is God himself. And he's looking for justice. He's looking for fairness. So as you have a position of authority over other people, as you have a position of power over other people, you are never to abuse that. You're, you're to uh, bless people with that authority and that power because God himself uh, takes all of that into account. And so Paul reminds the master, you have a master as well. So always keep that in mind as you deal with those who work for you or deal with those who serve you. So this is, this is the instruction. So here's a question. Uh, is the gospel true? That's a big question, right? Is the gospel true? People are asking that question who probably will never read a book on apologetics. They might not even take the time to pick up the Bible and read it. So how are they gonna know whether or not the message is true? Well, they can see us. And they hear what we say and they watch how we live. And, and what they really wanna know is, do you really think it's true? <laughs> do you believe it's true? And how are they gonna know that? They're gonna know we believe it's true if we're living it. If I'm saying, I believe this, I believe in Jesus Christ, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of God, but I don't live as a disciple of Jesus, then all of that is worthless. They just are gonna say hypocrites, all of them are hypocrites. Uh, It's just, it's counterproductive. 
So we want to make sure that we are living out our faith. And man, that's the world that we live in right now. People are like almost, you know, don't tell me, show me. I want to see it. So uh, is the gospel true? But you know, there's another question that's being asked in our society currently um, and as frequently probably. And it's not, is the gospel true? It's, is the gospel good? Is the gospel good? Now, the word gospel, of course, means the good news. But it is becoming a huge question, maybe even a a bigger question or a question that proceeds, is it true? You see, because many people today are saying that the gospel is not good, that the gospel is evil. Its adherents and message are oppressive, intolerant, and hateful. And they'll go on, it has caused untold suffering and oppression. And this is, this is the rhetoric in our, in our culture currently. How do we respond to that? How do, these are lies. How do we refute these lies? Well, this is the way we do it. We live out the gospel. We patiently live it out in the presence of people so that they see with their own eyes, even though they've heard another story, they see with their own eyes, wow, no, those Christians aren't like I heard. Uh, no, they're, they're different. They're not, you know, people say they're hateful. I've, I've seen them be really loving. And see, that's how we're going to make a difference in our world. So in your home, with your family, in your workplace, let people see both the reality and the goodness of God in and through our lives. That's what Paul was calling the Colossians to do in their day, in their environment of idolatry and and all kinds of wicked and sinful uh, activity and lifestyles. And that's what he's calling us to do today. And I want to close with a verse uh, from 1 Peter. Uh, Peter puts it so beautifully. He says this. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to keep away from fleshly desires that do battle against the soul and maintain good conduct among non-Christians so that though they now malign you as evildoers. Wow, that was happening back in Peter's day. Non-Christians were maligning Christians as evildoers. That's happening in our current cultural moment. More and more we're hearing that, well, it's the Christians that are the problem and the Christians are the hypocrites and the Christians support this oppressive view and all of this kind of stuff. So point is, there's nothing new under the sun. It's, it's happened before, it's, ha- it's happening again. But this is what he says, so that uh, though they now malign you as evildoers, here's the key, they may see your good deeds and glorify God when he appears. See, this is how we put to silence um, these, this, um, this, this kind of stuff that is, that is coming at, at the church today. We put it to silence by living our faith, by patiently, graciously, mercifully, lovingly, consistently living out our faith. And so life in the community of God, we saw that last time. Now here's where we take
what we what we learn and and what we glean and pick up as we gather and we take it out into the world. And boy, the world needs Jesus, right? The world just so desperately needs Jesus. Let's not give up hope because Christ is the answer. We know Christ. Let's let him work in us and let him work through us so that others might see the truth of the gospel, that others might see the goodness of the gospel and likewise put their hope and their trust in Jesus. So Lord, that's our prayer. We pray that you would help us to be the men and women that you've called us to be. Help us to live humbly and righteously uh, in obedience to you, following what your word tells us, Lord, because we know that that is where the blessing is for us personally. And we know that this is how others are going to uh, come to understand exactly who you are. So Lord, that's our prayer. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might live for you and for your glory. I pray for each and every believer today that they would be encouraged and strengthened and determined and committed to living out through the power of the Holy Spirit what the scripture calls us to, whether it's wives submitting to husbands or husbands loving their wives or children obeying their parents or fathers uh, not discouraging their children or, or workers uh, working hard or employers being just and righteous. Lord, help us in all facets of life to show forth the glorious gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name.